Good afternoon, everybody. Thank you for coming. We're delighted that you're here. I know it's been a very, very, very busy week. And, uh, but uh, as my mother will tell you, and I will concur, it's really nice to be alive. It's nice to be alive. My subject today for you to consider is simply going to be a question. Do you know the password? Do you know the password? Let me give you a couple of verses that I think have been uh, misunderstood for a long time. I've heard people say this. I have not seen, neither has ear heard uh, what God's prepared for us. Uh, or how about this one? As Solomon said, the half was not told me. Or his ways aren't our ways, his thoughts aren't our thoughts. So let me take a couple moments here to examine some of these myths that I find in church. Here's 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 9. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God had prepared for them that love him. Now watch the very next verse. But God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, even the deep things in God. It's not saying you're never going to see it and you're never going to hear it. There's a great verse in the book of Galatians chapter 5. Paul said, if you live in the spirit, you can walk in it. So in other words, don't be some super spiritual geek all your life. And let it be theory and abstract. Walk in it. Live in it. Let it be fleshed out every day in your life. How about this one? Solomon said, the half was not told me. This is something my dad taught me several years ago. Here's 1 Kings chapter 10 and verse 1. When the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to prove him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great train with camels that bear spices and very much gold and precious stones And when she was come to Solomon, she communed with him of all that was in her heart. Solomon told her all her questions. There was not anything hid from the king. When the queen of Sheba had seen all of Solomon's wisdom and the house that he had built, the meat of his table, the sitting of his servants, the attendance of his ministers, their apparel, his cupbearers, his ascent by which he went up into the house of the Lord, There was no more spirit in her. Some people think she fainted. And she said to the king, It was a true report that I heard in mine own land of thy acts and of thy wisdom. Howbeit I believe not the words until I came and my eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. So first of all, Solomon didn't say that. The queen of Sheba said that. That's modern-day Yemen. Now, if you read Kings and Chronicles, they're kind of near one another. 
Solomon had this throne made out of ivory, and if that wasn't elaborate enough, it was overlaid with gold. Six steps going up. I don't know what the code is. I know around here it's like six and a half to seven inches high, and you're, you got rise and all that stuff. That There's a formula for steps. This guy's got six steps made out of ivory, Overlaid with gold. The armrests for his throne are carved lions, carved out of ivory, overlaid with gold. It said his tribute or his taxes was equivalent to billions of dollars today, 666 talents of gold. It said he had apes, peacocks, now, I wondered about the apes. What was the apes for? And when I did the homework, I found out they trained apes like Doberman pinchers. They were bodyguards because you couldn't bribe a monkey on steroids. <laughs> and you think of all that. This, 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 it, the, the first verse is really neat because it said, when she heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord. In another translation, it says, when she heard of the reputation of Solomon connected with the name of his God. In other words, he made it very clear to the civilized world. The reason I have what I have and the reason I am what I am is because of the God that I serve. He gave all his glory to the. She's got all these questions. There's a fascinating verse in the book of Matthew. It said, the queen of the south shall rise in judgment against this generation because she journeyed to hear the wisdom of Solomon and a greater than Solomon is here. It's obviously talking about this woman. 800 miles, no Learjet, no limo on the back of some animal just to get some answers to some, some riddles. And there are people who won't walk across the street to go to church. So in judgment, it appears there's going to be a door open behind some people and this lady's going to walk out that they have absolutely no idea who she is. And she's going to look at them and say, I rode 800 miles on the back of a horse to get an answer to something that wasn't, didn't have anything to do with the salvation of my soul. Just intriguing my mind. But I made the trip and there's someone much greater than Solomon available to you and you wouldn't make the effort pretty powerful and and you know it's she trust me the 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 the, the, the facebook was intact back then the, the 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 going through the barns and all the all the scuttlebutt and 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 all of the rumor mill she'd heard about the apes she'd heard about the peacocks she'd heard about watch this verse and that's what the half wasn't told me Watch the next verse. Happy are thy men. Happy are thy servants. Happy are thy cupbearers. That's what it says in 1 Kings 10 and verse 8. Here's what the message says. Lucky the men and women who work for you. And ladies, she, ladies and gentlemen, she'd heard about his wealth and his extravagance. But there was something else. No one told her. 
them people that work for him, they really have a good time. And isn't it amazing that this one thing that they left out is the equivalent of 50% of the argument? Half of the thing. Ladies and gentlemen, the world has heard about our speaking in tongues. And this poltergeist stuff, you know, about uh, all that talk about getting the ghost. And uh, they've seen your, your, the modest way that you dress. They've heard your radical views on honoring authority. For God's sakes, you people give 10% right off the top. Much less millions to a new building. Your antiquated approach to abortion. You people are dinosaurs. This abortion thing, uh, uh, there's a, see, Ronald Reagan appointed a man years ago named Robert Bork to the Supreme Court. And um, it caused such a fury among the liberal politicians that, that they did everything they could to squelch his uh, being seated on the Supreme Court. And they succeeded. It got so bad that Bork literally stepped down and said, Mr. President, it's causing you too much grief. Pick somebody else. And they, they coined a phrase, we borked him. And Robert Bork, Bork, I'm sure he's written more than two, but I have two of his books. One of them is called Slouching Towards Armageddon. And uh, the other one... Fascinating book because the way the guy's brain works. Because in 1857, a, a slave by the name of Dred Scott, he, 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 he lived uh, in uh, Missouri. Missouri was a slave state. This is before the Civil War. Missouri is a state where it's okay to have slaves. Well, his master took him from Missouri to Illinois. Illinois was a free state because they're trying to balance them out. This one's for slaves. This one's not for slaves. So then his master took him. In, it wasn't a state yet, but took him into a free territory known as Wisconsin. When he got there, Dred Scott sued for his freedom and his case went all the way to the Supreme Court. And he lost and remained a slave for the rest of his life. And this was the ruling of the Supreme Court justices. You are not a person. You are the property of your master. And because you are his possession and you are his property, you'll never be free. In 1900... The year 1900, there was a baker's strike in New York City. Back then, of course, they had the blue laws. Blue laws, no businesses were open on Sunday. However, they were making the bakers work seven days a week, 12 hours a day. And the bakers sued to have Sunday off. They lost. And there's a phrase called stare decisis. It means, how did they rule in the beginning? What was the first way they ruled? And... And the, the Supreme Court justices used Dred Scott and the ruling of Dred Scott for the bakers. 
saying, you're not a person. You are the property of the owner of the bakeries. Well, in 1973, when Roe versus Wade showed up, guess what the Supreme Court justices said? We're basing our ruling on the Baker strike, which was based on Dred Scott, which means that every one of these people that are screaming about it's okay to have abortion don't even understand that the whole basis of the thing was it's okay for to have, to have slaves. It's all convoluted. The Bible said there are seven things that are an abomination and one of them is hands that shed innocent blood. Do you realize that when Cain killed Abel, he killed 25% of the population of the world? And we're in this time where life is not treasured like it should be. Trust me, the world's heard about your speaking in tongues, the holy rollers, all the crazy stuff you do. However, they are stunned when they come to church and find out, we like this. That was the thing they never told them about all of us crazy people. We're happy. Happy are thy servants. Happy are thy men and thy women. Happy. <laughs> never, never figured that out. Let's, here's the other myth. His ways aren't our ways. His thoughts aren't our thoughts. Albert Einstein one time said, I will never stop until I can think the thoughts of God. They said he was crazy. You know, he came up with this thing called relativity. They asked him one time, what's relativity? He said, well, he said, if you're with a girl that you love, you can be there with her for hours and it just seems like moments. However, if you put your hand on a red hot oven, just a moment can seem like hours. He said, that's relativity. Einstein projected this crazy theory that light has weight. And, 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 and it's this week on the news, there was a fascinating thing. I don't know if you saw it or not. They have discovered a black hole in the middle of our, our, our galaxy. See, the reason it's black is because of Albert. If this podium was a planet or a black hole and I had a flashlight and I shined a flashlight across it, the beam wouldn't go straight. It would go, it would bend because even light has weight. And there are, to, see when stars die, see when the stars are blue, they're, they're, they're young stars, but when they're red, they're old stars. And when they, when they die, it, they, it's called a nova. It, it, you have explosion, but in space, you know, it's a vacuum. You don't have air like we have here. So for every action, there is an opposite reaction. So you have explosion and then you have implosion. And so in space, when a star dies, it goes, but then it rushes back to fill the void created by the detonation. When it rushes back, sometimes those forces skip off of one another. And they create this giant Hoover vacuum cleaner in the sky called a, a black hole. It's so powerful that not even light can get out of it. And years ago in, in the 30s, Einstein was teaching his class in Princeton. And he said, think, think of when you 
pull the plug on the bathtub and the water goes like that. He said, that's what a black hole is like. And he said, if you just happen to get too close to a black hole, it would suck you into that and turn you into a piece of spaghetti about a mile long. And one of his students said, where would you go? And he stopped for a minute and he said, well, to another world, to another world. See, I think that's what goes on when you're in the presence of the Lord. Paul said, we sit in heavenly places. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Time doesn't matter there. There is a place in the presence of God where you're not here. When you get in the book of Philippians, it, it, it's, it, it, it talks about our conversation is in heaven. In heaven. Not going to be, it's in heaven. And what you have to understand is Philippi was a Roman military colony. It was a satellite colony. Do you ever remember Star Trek? I was never a science fiction guy, but uh, I thought it was a lot more fiction than science, you know. And, but, but they'd put him in this little phone booth and say, beam me up, Scotty. And all of a sudden, he'd dematerialize and then get projected somewhere else and, and then he'd show up. And, and this, is what, this is what I read one time. It was fascinating. If you, if you were in Rome, and you could get bodily projected to Philippi, which was a long ways from Rome, you wouldn't know you'd left. Because Philippi looked like Rome. Same dress, same language, same laws. They were a, they were a, a Roman satellite. And so when Paul told the church, our conversation is in heaven, not going to be, but it's in heaven, they understood exactly what that meant. Many of them had never been to Rome, but they were Roman citizens. That's why they acted the way they did, dressed the way they did, the laws that governed their life the way they did. This, this see, see, if you look at this with a, with a carnal mind, this is Macomb County, okay? This is Sterling Heights, this is Michigan. No, no, I, years ago, I was in Burma, which is Myanmar today, and I, 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 I had, I, I was away from my wife. I hadn't been married long. I was homesick, lovesick, whatever. I hadn't seen her for almost two months. And, and, and the, the, the superintendent of Burma's name was Bawaya. He said, come. He couldn't say brother. He said, Bur, come, Bur Hoffman. We go for a walk. And we're walking down the sidewalk in, in uh, Rangoon. And all of a sudden, he just grabbed me and turned me into this courtyard and looked me face, right in the face and said, how do you feel? And I said, uh, I'm, I'm fine. No, you're not. You, you're homesick. He said, turn around, Brother Hoffman. And I turned around, and there was this big, beautiful, Italianate mansion. Stars and stripes flying. Marine honor guard on the porch with the shiny chrome helmets. He said, this is the embassy of the United States of America, Brother Hoffman. He said, by international law, you're not in Burma anymore. You're in America. He said, I knew you were homesick, so I decided to take you home. And he said, by international law, you're standing on American soil right now. That's what a church is. This is the embassy of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
This is not Macomb County. This is not Michigan. We are heavenly citizens. Heaven's laws operate around here. That's why we talk the way we do. That's why we look the way we do. We are ambassadors. We are a representative from another world to Michigan. That's why we ought to look different. We ought to talk different. We ought to act different. I'm not from Michigan. I'm from the New Jerusalem. I'm just spending a little time here at the embassy. But I'm going back. I'm going back home. And there ought to be something that when you go, thy will be done in earth as it. There ought to be worship services in this church. Now there's going to be more people, but when you get around the throne of Jesus Christ in the new Jerusalem, it ought to be just like home. You ought to say, I have felt this same thing in Sterling Heights. I know there's more people here, but I've felt the same manifestation of the presence of the Lord there as I do right here. That's the truth. It's just, it's just his ways on our ways, his thoughts on our thoughts. It's just, I, I like Albert when he said, you know, I'm never going to be content until I can think the thoughts of God. I think it's pretty obvious now, years later, they proved old Albert was onto something. Light does have weight. There are black holes. Relativity is right. That E equals MC square has been proven to be accurate. He got into another, Elon Musk one time said, I intend to take the word fiction out of science fiction. Now, I'm not trying to tell you to replicate Albert's crazy hairdo. And I'm sure not asking you to replicate Musk's daily life. What I'm trying to show you is I'm looking for people who are willing to abandon sight walking and do what Paul said. We look at things which are not seen. You want, look, look at the courage of Moses. If anybody knew what the balance was in the Egyptian checkbook, it's Moses. All he's got to do is shut up. And he's going to be the next Pharaoh of the greatest power in the world at that time. All he's got to do is shut up. But look what it says in 11 and 27 of Hebrews. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. The reason that's so powerful is because of the verse that precedes it. This is what it says in 26. Watch very closely. Esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect under the recompense of reward. Now, I don't have time to give you a primer on, on the oneness of God. I'll give it to you really fast. In 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 in. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 4, it says there's one spirit, capital S. You have a spirit, angels are spirits, demons are spirits, but they all get a little S in the Bible. When you get an uppercase S in the Bible with spirit, there's only one spirit that's talking about. It's, it's the supreme spirit, all right? So you take that same bit of information from Ephesians 4 and 4, and you go to John 4 and 24, and it says God is spirit, capital S, Okay? So there's only one almighty spirit. We'd all agree God is that spirit, okay? Now you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and it says, now the Lord is that same spirit. There's not a spirit of God separate from the spirit of the Lord. Whether you call that spirit God, Lord, Father, Holy, doesn't matter. Just one spirit, okay? There's just one, all right? You with me? There's one spirit. God is that one spirit. The Lord is that same spirit. 
Look at Acts chapter 9. When Saul of Tarsus is on the road to Damascus and he knocked off the horse, what does he say? Who art thou, Lord? The answer is, I'm Jesus. All right? I'm a father. I'm a son. I'm a grandson. That's not my name. The name of the Father, Son, Holy Ghost is not Father, Son, Holy Ghost. The saving name of our God is given to us in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 20. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. All right? You with me? The saving name of our God is Jesus Christ. Now look what it says in Hebrews eleven twenty six: 26. Esteeming the reproach of Christ. Not God, not Lord, no, not the Father, Christ. This is a revelation that's hundreds of years in the future after Moses. And yet Moses saw Calvary. Moses had the revelation of the reproach Jesus Christ was going to endure. And since no servant is greater than his Lord, if his Lord was willing to endure that, that type of reproach, he wasn't afraid of the Pharaoh of Egypt. Watch, esteeming the riches of the, the recompense of reward greater than all the riches. It didn't matter how much money Egypt had. It couldn't compare to the reward that he knew he was going to get if he decided and chose to stand with the reproach of Jesus Christ. You don't believe that? I'll prove it to you. Here's John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, the Pharisees, self-righteous bums, are telling Jesus, who in the world are you? Abraham is our father. And he said, listen, if Abraham really was your father, then you'd be tickled to death about me right now. Because in verse 56, he said, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. He saw it. All the way down through those years, he saw it. He saw it. What do you see? What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying don't buy into this stuff. The half has not been told us. Of course it has. Let's serve him with gladness. I have not seen, ear, not heard. But he has revealed them unto us by his spirit. Okay? His ways aren't our ways. His thoughts aren't our thoughts. Listen to what it says in Philippians 2 and 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Here's 1 Corinthians 2 and 16. We have the mind of Christ. I'm trying to show you something. Quit putting it off. It's not impossible. It's doable. If you live in it, you can walk in it. You can see it. You can hear it. You can experience it. Hallelujah. I, I, I was changed years ago by an old preacher in Indiana named G.T. Haywood because of a verse in Isaiah 46. It said, I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like unto me, declaring the end from the beginning. Listen, here, here's, here's Solomon. Here's 1 Kings 3. You've got to understand, even, even to this day, he's known as Jesus, son of David. Not son of Solomon, son of David. How would you? I remember years ago they had one of Shaquille O'Neal's shoes at Dick's Sporting Goods. I was stunned. I took my shoe off, put it inside of Shaq's shoes, and shook it like a rattle. It's 24. He, he has a size. 
My, I, I wear size nine. His shoe was size 20. It was two feet long. How, how would you like to be Solomon and having to fill the shoes of your great daddy? It's imposing. And this is what he prayed. Oh, Lord, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David, my father. I'm but a little child. I don't know how to go out or come in. That, that always seemed backwards to me. First you go in and then you come out. Listen, listen. Here's Psalms 100 and verse 4. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Listen to the message. Enter with the password. Thank you. Make yourselves at home talking praise. Thank him. Worship him. So I ask you again, do you know the password? Thank you. Thank you. Just walking up to this imposing door and you knock on it and the little thing slides up and says, what's the password? Thank you. Come on in. In a culture. <laughs> oh, I got to be real careful right now. In a culture that's filled with narcissistic, naive, nauseating, neurotic, neonates, stingy, self-centered, believing the world just revolves around them and only them, flying in the face of all of that foolishness is a church that says, I'm thankful for what he's done for me. I, 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 I'm going into a busy season right now and I won't stop until September or October. If there's one thing that frustrates me traveling across this country, I meet too many people that I, they're like Captain Crunch. After five minutes, they're just lying in the bottom of the bowl, sucking up the milk. <laughs> just some soggy sludge on the bottom of the church. See, most people don't realize it. When Jesus was born, there were two babies born. There were two. There were two women that were with child. Now Mary, of course, gets all the attention. But Mary's cousin, Elizabeth, was with child as well. They're pregnant together, like women in this church right now. God is love, and boy is he ever. Because man, we got a lot of babies in this church, and I'm grateful for that. Listen to Luke chapter one and verse seven. They had no child because Elizabeth was barren. And they both were now well stricken in years. She wasn't just barren. She was old. Now, if you read 
Now there's a theory in Christianity called the blessed holy family. Any of you ever heard this foolishness? The blessed holy family. There's Joseph, Mary, and Jesus, and that's it. The problem is that's not Bible. When you get to Matthew chapter 13, this is what it says in 54 and 55. Isn't Mary, isn't this the carpenter's, isn't, isn't that the kid that used to run around in the carpenter shop? Isn't his mother called Mary? Watch this. Are not these his sisters, plural? And are not these his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? He's got at least two half-sisters. Could have been more, but at least two. So the blessed holy family has to number at least nine, not three. Joe, Mary, Jesus, the girls, and the four boys. At least nine. And after they come back from Egypt, you never read about Joseph again. We have precious women in this church right now, and I'm going to tell you something to you that I felt the Lord quickened to my heart. The Savior of the world was raised by a single mom. So who knows? I know, I know it's difficult, but he said he would be a father to the fatherless. But that doesn't excuse us. My one gripe against the church is we scream and yell about abortion. But once we spare them from abortion, we don't want nothing to do with them. Yeah, you saved them from getting aborted. Now are you willing to invest in them? Huh? What are you going to do now? Yeah, you didn't kill them in the womb. What are you going to do now? He's gonna, it's, like, it's like putting a bunch of babies on the front porch. They pin a $20 bill to their lapel and wish, wish them the best of luck. It's craziness. It's craziness. I read one book and they said they believed Elizabeth was 88. I thought that was extreme. So I did a lot of homework. And, and, and I found what I thought was a much more reasonable approach. They took into account all the other references in the Bible to people that were old. They come to the conclusion that Elizabeth and Zechariah had to be somewhere at least between 60 and 70. They're stricken. They're getting old, folks. Listen, listen. There was in the days of Herod a certain priest named Zechariah of the course of Abiah. That's very important. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous, walking commandments, ordinances of God. They had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they both were now well stricken in years. It came to pass that, watch, while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course. I know that doesn't mean much yet. Watch. According to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. The whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. There appeared unto him an angel of the Lord and said, Fear not, your prayer is heard. You're going to have a son, call him John. You'll have joy and gladness. Many are going to rejoice at his birth. He'll be great in the sight of the Lord. He'll be filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. 
Many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. Watch verse 17. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias or Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And he said, how in the world is this going to happen? I'm an old man and my wife is old. Now, let me explain to you what's going on here. I've been working on this book. It's called Unreaped Corners. It's, it comes from Leviticus. Because in Leviticus, I did a series of lessons a while ago called My Love Affair with Leviticus. And people thought that was so strange. And I've got calls from all over the country. What do you, I mean, how many people love Leviticus? But I do. And, 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 and what, what, what it says there is if you're a farmer, don't cut all your corn down. Don't cut all your wheat down. Leave stuff standing in the corner. Because there is this massive group of people in the Old Testament known as the stranger. And they just might happen to wander upon your field. And someone had the foresight to leave them some corn. And to leave them some wheat. And that's the way I look at the Bible. I think there are places in the Bible that I call unreaped corners. Places that nobody reads. Places that nobody wants, the genealogies, all this and this and one after. People just, just, just blaze right through that and never take the time to read it. I found another unreaped corner this week. It's in 1 Chronicles 24. Because in 1 Chronicles 24, they divided the priesthood in what is known as 24 courses. 24 courses. And what really, just my, my mind just... It, 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 it went crazy because this, 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 I, I found this verse. This is First Chronicles chapter 23 and verse 2. Watch. And he gathered together all the princes of Israel with the priests and the Levites. And the Levites were numbered from the age of 30 years to upward, which 30 to 50. You only had 20 years to serve as a priest. And there's 38,000 of them. But what's interesting is verse 4, of which 20 and 4,000 were set forward the work of the house of the Lord. You'll like this, Draylon. This is from the message. At the same time, he brought together all the elders, all the leaders of Israel, the priests and the Levites. The Levites, 30 years and older, were counted. The total was 38,000. David sorted them into work groups. 24,000 are in charge of administering worship in the sanctuary. 6,000 are officials and judges. 4,000 are security guards. And 4,000 are supposed to serve in the orchestra. Praising God with instruments that I have provided for praise. There's 24,000 priests who work in that Old Testament church house, the temple. According to 1 Chronicles 24, they're divided into 24 courses, which means there's about a 1,000 in each course. Now watch. Now a Jewish day was 360. I use 365. If you take 20 years, the ages of a priest from 30 to 50, times 365, 
you come up with 7,300 days. Zechariah is of the course of Abiah. There's 24,000 priests. There's only 7,300 days. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity. It's his day. He's never going to do this again for the rest of his life. It's on a constant rotation to try and get as many people involved in that. But he's involved in the worship because he's offering incense. When I was a kid, we had a drugstore beside in the little town of Wellsburg, close to where we lived. And on the outside of the drugstore, I was the first time I ever remember seeing this word, apothecary. I didn't know what that meant. It's a, it's a, it's a, it basically means drugstore. But when you read the Old Testament, it talks about the apothecary. And the apothecary in the Old Testament was two things. First of all, it was the man, that priest who was the apothecary. But he produced something known as the apothecary. And the apothecary that he produced is basically known as incense. Certain saps, certain roots, sandalwood, different types of things that he would collect in very precise amounts. Grind that stuff up. And that priest would go into the holy place that golden altar of incense in front of the veil and we put that incense on that and it never ignited, it just smoldered, you know. You got to understand, outside they're burning raw flesh all day long. It stinks out there like burnt meat. But inside of the holy place is this fascinating aroma and this smoke. I am convinced that incense in the Bible is a picture of prayers. And I'll tell you why. Because in the book of Revelation, it said after the church is taken, one of the judgments that's going to happen to the earth is the Lord is going to take an incense, or not incense, he's going to take a, a, what's it called, a censer. He's going to take a censer. That's where you burn the incense. He's going to take a censer and he's going to throw it to the earth. And this is what it says. There were lightnings and there were thunders and there were voices. Did you ever hear that old gospel song? If I could hear my mother pray again. Some people are going to hear that prayer, ladies and gentlemen. Because one of the judgments of missing the coming of Jesus Christ is you're going to hear people that prayed for you. People that loved you and interceded for you and they didn't want anything to do with it. And they're going to hear them voices. That incense, that censor is cast to the earth. I'll tell you another reason why I believe that. Because it doesn't say Zachariah was praying. It said he was offering incense. But the very next verse said, thy prayer is heard. Thy prayer is heard. Do you know in the book of Leviticus, it talks about things that are a sweet smelling savor unto the Lord. 
And in one of the minor prophets, off the top of my head, it was Hosea. The Lord said, I will no longer smell in your assembly. Because you see, ladies and gentlemen, those things, there are five offerings, but three of them, they're, they're voluntary. They're sweet savor offerings. You don't have to do it. You do it because you're thankful. You do it because you're grateful. You look, look, I want to know where, who, give me the verse where anybody ever asked David to fight Goliath. You, it's not in the Bible. He volunteered. I can give you example after example of people that volunteered. Abraham sent a servant to try and find a wife for Isaac. There's an old song that says, one day when maids drew water in the evening time, they say, you ever remember that? One day when maids drew water in the evening time, they say, one day Isaac sent his servant to meet Rebecca on her way. My master sent me here to tell thee, see these jewels rich and rare. Wouldst thou not his lovely bride be in that country over there? It shall be light. In the evening time, the path to glory you will surely find. Through the waterway is the life today, baptized in Jesus' name. Young and old, repent of all your sins, and the Holy Ghost will enter in. The evening time has come. It is a fact that God and Christ are one. My hero, G.T. Haywood, wrote that song in 1927. It's called Light at Evening. Think of it. Here's this woman and this servant. He says, whoever offers to water my camels, that's the girl. And he comes up there and Rebecca said, would you like something to drink, sir? Yes, I would. And then she says it. Would you like me to water your camels? That doesn't mean much to us in America because we don't have camels. But see, over there, camels can drink and drink and drink. I used to have an old Ford truck that had two gas tanks, 20 in one and 25 in another. It was amazing, magnificent until Renee smashed them all. But it was, it was, it was, it was, these, this is camels. They got one humps and two humps, you know? I mean, it's, it's like, it's like a two gas tank thing. It's just, these things can drink and drink and drink. And when this girl says, would you like me to water your camels? It's like, it's, it's like Ed McMahon coming out of the van with the big check, man. It's, it's, it's the confetti falling out of the, out of the clouds. You, you don't understand what you just said. You're going to be the wife of Isaac, the son of the well and the wealthiest men in the world. Why? Because she was willing to go the second mile. Because she was willing to volunteer. Oh, praise God. You understand what I'm telling you about? It says, I want the Lord to get over this church and go, ah, that's what I'm looking for. Smells good down there. Sweet savor offering. I don't want ever the Lord to go, ah, ah, you stink. I don't want nothing to do with you. I look at what's just happened in the last couple of weeks in this place. Look at the voluntary spirit, not just with your time, but of your talent and your finance. I promise you, it smells good to the Lord. It smells good to the Lord. 
what, what, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you way too much information here, but, but you got to understand, I've been working on this stuff for years. And what, what was amazing is there's a verse in, in Psalms 84 and verse 10. It said, a day in thy court, just one day, is better than a thousand. This guy has left the outer court and has gone into the holy place. It's his one day in his lifetime that he's able to offer this incense at the golden altar before the veil. And while he's doing that, the Lord says, you just won the lotto, old man. You're going to have a baby. You got it? Your wife's going to have a baby. You're, going to, you're not going to be a grandpa. You're going to be a father. Does anybody know what the last verse in the Old Testament says? Does anybody know? It says, I'm going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And then I'll turn the hearts of the children to the father, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Now, if you look in your Bible, you look at the last chapter of Malachi and the first chapter of Matthew. And usually there's one piece of paper in there. But what people don't understand is that one piece of paper is 400 silent years. No profit, nothing fresh, just old mildewed stuff. Just same-o, same-o, again and again. But look at verse 17 of Luke chapter 1. Zechariah, your boy. Remember, what was the curse? The curse was the 400 silent years. Why? Because dads did not take their rightful place in the family. Hear me again. America's weak because they have weak churches. Churches are weak because they have weak families. Families are weak because they have weak fathers. If we fix the dad situation, we can fix the family. We can fix the country. We can fix something better. We've got to have godly daddies. Come on, dad. Turn your heart back to your family. And this is what the prophecy was to Zechariah. Because of you being willing to offer incense in my presence, you're going to have a boy. And boy, is he going to be something special. Because he's the guy that's going to do what 400 silent years wasn't able to accomplish. Your boy is going to turn the hearts of the fathers back to their family. And when that happened, remember what John said? I'm going to exalt the valley. I'm going to take down the mountaintop. I'm going to straighten out the crooked. I'm going to smooth out the rough. I'm here to, I'm Ajax Paven. I am here to build a highway for Jesus Christ. And after six months, he went, behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the whole world. I'm trying to show you something powerful here. That, that, that Elijah spirit that was on John the Baptist was a result of a mom and a dad, well stricken in years. 60, how would you, I mean, it'd be, I just had my 65th birthday last week. I go home and Renee said, I, 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 need, some, I need some ice cream. And don't forget to pick up the pickles. And when I bring them home, she's putting the pickles on the ice cream. I'm 65, I'm not gonna tell you how old she is. You get what I'm saying here? They're saying, I might be 65, but I am not dying until I see a harvest. You're not going to put me on Social Security until I see a harvest. You're not going to put me in a retirement home until I see a harvest. I'm going to walk in that building. I'm going to physically walk in that building. Why? 
because there's something that burns inside of me that says, I don't care how old I get, I'm not going to let this burn this thing out of me. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for what the Lord has done for us. Jesus name, Jesus name. Don't you realize John was 99 years old when he was banished to Patmos. History said they tried to boil him like a French fry in oil. But those kind of guys don't boil very well because they've already been exposed to a lot of heat. And when you can't boil them, you banish them to the Alcatraz of his day. He refused to allow those times in his life when he got burned to extinguish the fire that was in his soul because this is what he said. I was was on Patmos, but I was in paradise. Ladies and gentlemen, do not think this is geographical. I can, I can, there are people in the Bible that had the best environment in the world and they couldn't make it. Oh, you got, go to the first story. Adam and Eve backslid in paradise. Korah backslid following Moses. Gehazi backslid following the double-blessed prophet by the name of Elisha. Judas backslid following Jesus Christ. Ananias and Sapphira backslid in the first church in Jerusalem. Demas backslid following Paul. And the devil backslid in heaven. You can have the best environment in the world and not make it. We do everything that we possibly can to help you and you still not serve God. But the flip side is, there's a guy by the name of Hosea in the Old Testament. Got a wife that's a prostitute. No DNA tests back then. They don't know if any of those three boys she gave birth to were biologically his. But he said, I'm not going to get rid of her. I'm going to live in such a way to prove to you the mercy of God and how willing he's willing to linger and be long-suffering for us. I mean, we don't even know her name. Monica Johnson Ball, Monica and Andrew have this wonderful eyeglass clinic down there in Gross Point. I went last week to get my eyes worked on. I said, Monica, where are you from? She grinned. She said, I'm a Syrian. I said, oh, you were really bad people in the Bible. She said, I know, we were stinkers. We were stinkers. You got this guy named Naaman. He's a Syrian general, not a Jew. He's got leprosy. He's got a slave girl, a P.O., the prisoner of war. Now, if it was me and I was a slave, you think I'm going to tell that bum where to get healed? Not on your life. I'm just going to. It's like I tell Ashley. (laughs) All of a sudden, a servant girl, a slave girl said, if you'd be willing to go back to my home, there's a man there and he can heal you of leprosy. I did a lot of homework years ago on Roman law. Peter's in prison. And God miraculously gets him out. He goes and knocks on the door where they're having a prayer meeting asking God to get their pastor out of jail. Watch what it says in the book of Acts. And a servant, 
a slave girl by the name of Rhoda opened up the door and went, <laughs> and went back in and said, it's okay, quit praying. And they said, shut up, kid, you're, you're, you're interrupting our prayer meeting. No, 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 you don't understand. Pastor's on the porch. No, he's not, and he's in prison. Shut up. No, no, I'm telling you the truth, he's on the porch. How many times does God give us the answer and we keep on praying? Listen, I found this out. Roman law never required slaves to participate in the religion of their master. She didn't have to be there, but she was at prayer meeting. I can give you examples of people that had great environments and couldn't make it. Moses was an adopted boy, ladies and gentlemen. He should have had a chip on his shoulder for the rest of his life. Instead, he was the deliverer of a nation. Because he wouldn't let that get into his spirit. Stand with me. I'm asking you to do something right now Satan's never been able to do. See, Satan fell and he's never been able to get back up. But the Bible says, don't rejoice against me when I fall. Because I will rise again. And the very fact that you stood up right now is an indictment against the enemy of your soul. You fell and never did get back up. But the Bible said, not unrighteous, a righteous man falls seven times, but he picks himself back up again. Why? I'm grateful. I'm grateful for what he does. I'm ladies and gentlemen, thank you is the password to open you up into the courts where you can pray these prayers realize what he's saying? Your boy is going to stop 400 years of silence because of your prayers. Come with me around the altar. In October, in October of last year, I was in, I think I was in Indianapolis, wherever general conference was. Might have been Kansas City. I forget. I'm sitting outside waiting to go to the general board session because we were trying to get Detroit to be a metro district. And this lady sat beside of me and she said, after a while, do you remember me, Harold? And fortunately, I did. Her name was Judy Hudson. Her and her husband, Tommy, pastor church in Phoenix and years ago invited me there on repeated occasions and, and, and they were so very, very kind to me. She called me two weeks ago, even before that, when I'm, she said, I'm going to, I'm going to send you a, I'm going to send you a, a text and a picture. She said, we, we never miss here. Tommy can't go to church. So we go to first church every Sunday. And we sit there and we worship with you and your congregation. And she sent me a picture of her husband sitting with a man and said, that's our neighbor. He's the police chief. After watching one of your services, he got baptized and now in the church because of watching one of these live stream things. She called me two weeks ago, so broken. And she said, Harold, would you please pray for Tommy? He's in trouble. And we did. 
that in the middle of the night last night, my phone dinged and I got up to check on it. And in the middle of the night, she texted me again and she said, would you please have the church pray one more time for my husband because he's having another stroke right now and we don't know what to do. Just remember the consternation last Sunday. I told mother, we're not going to have you do any more preaching because she spoke twice and then gave us a scare. So, uh, <laughs> but I guess if she's going to check out, she'd rather be doing it, doing something in the kingdom. We're having dinner and she looked at me and she said, I, I feel strange, Harold. And the next thing I know, she was gone. She was out like a light. I thought she died. I really did. And I, that, that came over me. It's still very raw from my dad. So I know how Judy Hudson feels right now. And if she's not watching now, she'll watch before the day's out. Sister Hudson, I told you we're going to do this. We're going to do it right now. For a minute. Now, Glenn and Tina probably know who they are. Maybe Kelsey, but I doubt if any of the rest of you do. I want you to pray for somebody that you've never met. Someone that you can't put a face on the name. But here we are in the presence of the Lord. Let's offer up some incense. Let's offer up some prayers right now. And would it be crazy to believe that while we're praying and believing that God could give us a harvest, that God could give us a new birth, God could do something in our lives because we were praying for somebody else. Would you lift your hands and lift your voice with me right now? Lord Jesus, Tommy and Judy Hudson were kind to me. They opened up their home, they opened up their heart, and they opened up their pulpit, and they supported me, and they loved me. And I've never forgotten the kindness, God, that they just very graciously poured on me again and again and again. And one day I will be where they are right now, Lord. One day I will be frail. One day, Lord, I'll be stricken in years. One day my wife is going to be where Judy is right now. Lord, I ask you right now that you would be with these good people. I ask you, Heavenly Father, to hear our prayer right now. I did not come here, God, just to be ministered to. I came to minister. I came to pour my heart out, Lord, on the behalf of someone else. Although it's a long way from here, time and distance mean nothing to you, Lord. A day's a thousand years. A thousand years is a day. A thousand miles is five miles to you. It doesn't matter. It's all inconsequential. It's all relative in the Holy Ghost. I'm asking you, God, right now that you do something mighty and magnificent in Phoenix right now for this precious man that has dedicated his entire life to the kingdom and to the service of others. I'm asking you, God, God of Sabbath, God of strength, God of peace. I'm asking you, God, to step on the bow of their boat and to calm, to calm that sea, Lord, and to do that for your glory. There are people in this room right now, God. I ask you right now, let that spirit of thanksgiving ever be in our heart. Don't ever let our circumstance stomp it out, quench it out. You said that a smoking flax, you won't quench. It said that a bruised and a bent reed and a broken, you will not break the stick. You'll not put the flax out. You'll coax it back to flame. You'll fix the limb, Lord, so that it can grow and have fruit again. 
You're not in the killing business. You're not in the breaking business. You're not in the extinguishing business. You're a God of long suffering. You're a God of mercy, a God of kindness, a good and gracious Savior. I ask you, Lord, right now for every daddy that's in this room, for a revelation and a revival in their heart. I don't care how old they are. I don't care how hopeless it may seem, God. Turn the hearts of the fathers back to the family. Because I'm never going to have them kids come back if I don't have a breaking dad. Amen. Out of all the words you could have used to describe yourself, it's our father, our father, our father, our father. And you turn your heart towards us. And it's only right, God, that we turn our hearts back to you. Anybody that's sick in this room right now, I'm believing you for healing. I'm believing for mending. I'm believing you for repair. The doctors told me my mom's heart is stronger now than it was six months ago. I attribute that to the Holy Ghost. I attribute that to prayer. I attribute that to the fellowship of the body of Christ. I believe there's healing in this house. I believe there's mending and repair in this place. I believe you're running after me, Lord. You're running after me. You're running after me. You're running after me. But I do not expect you to chase me all my life. I'm going to wait on you. I let goodness and mercy catch up with you. Will you sing with us?